dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The topic of leadership is not always popular among Christians, in particular because many Christians see leadership as the antithesis to humility. After all, how are you supposed to remain humble while deploying all of your gifts in the sight of others? How are you supposed to remain humble while seeking after success? St. Thomas Aquinas gives some amazing insights into the virtue of humility and shows that it's actually essential for every leader and that, in fact, true leadership can make you humble. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for being here with us again. Uh, We're going to actually extend our series on the virtues. We had originally planned to have only six classes, but I just can't, I can't finish this series without talking about the virtue of humility and the virtue of magnanimity. And we're going to get to that second virtue in the final uh, and concluding uh, class here that we're giving you. But I did want to just really emphasize the importance of these two because these two virtues both are part and parcel of a person who's trying to dare something great. And every one of you who is leading is daring something great. Now, the thing about that phrase is, is that many people struggle with it by saying, Father Nathan, like, I don't want to dare after great things. I'm done daring great things. I'm not in business anymore. My kids are raised. I just want to finish my life in a humble way. And, and I think that that's wonderful. I, I actually agree with the sentiment. I totally get what people are saying. But I do want to, to counter a little bit of tendency that can come from some quarters that see the words daring great things or daring mighty things as being somehow belonging purely to the fantasies of youth and or being even uh, against the spirit of gentleness, meekness, humility, you know, etc. that's to be found in every Christian. And I bring this up because surprisingly, a lot of people really struggle with the concept of leadership. They, they, as soon as you say the word, they think, okay, that's either something military or that's something business related, or that's something that I'm not sharing in because of my role even in my company. I mean, can you really be a leader when you're a nurse, right? You say, well, I'm just a nurse, right? Or I'm just a receptionist, or I'm just a clerk. I have to say, well, no, hold on a second. That's almost like saying I'm just a mom, right? Like there's no such thing as just a mom. (laughs) Every mom is an amazing, you know, miracle of God, just as is every dad, right? You see, the thing about leadership is that everybody needs to lead in the sense of everyone needs to lay claim of the good that is in front of them, making an impact by so doing in the culture that surrounds them. Okay, so when we talk about leadership, it's not necessarily that you have followers that you know of and that you inculcate. There are many roles for that, and and that's a great thing, but it's a broader notion. It means that you're going to make an impact and that's going to influence others around you. 
And the more that you can make that impact intentional and focused, the more that that impact is going to bear good fruit in everyone whom it touches. And so how do you make that impact? Anytime you strive for something that is outside of you, bigger than you, you're going to change the world around you. You're going to impact it, right? And for Aquinas, he's like, therefore, anytime someone tries to attain a good that requires effort, they're going to need the virtues to sustain them in that effort. And that and the chief of those virtues is, is going to be the, the, the virtue of fortitude, which is the strength that you need in your will to go beyond the obstacles that lie in your way in order to attain the good that you simply need to attain. Being, having fortitude, being courageous, in other words, is not an option. Right? A lot of us, we kind of think that way. We're like, oh, leadership, achievement, that's for certain people. I'm just trying to make it through life. I'm like, if you're just trying to make it through life, you're actually, your ship is sinking, okay? Human beings aren't called to just make it through life. In order to make it through life, what do you have to do? You got to find God. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. He's outside of us. He's bigger than us. And he requires a lot of effort in order for us to attain to him to obey his will, to pray, to be good, to forgive our enemies, to go to church. I mean, all of these different things that religion requires of us require an effort that says, I've got to face the difficulties that are in front of me and I've got to overcome them. I'm not going to, in other words, if I'm going to be alive, I've got to swim against the stream of my easy passions, of the easy culture around me, I've got to be willing to go after things that are hard. And that's why I need courage in my soul. That's what Aristotle calls the virtue of fortitude and which Aquinas picks up and says, it's simply necessary to do that, okay? And if you don't have the fortitude to dare after the great things, or you won't even attain the essential things because every human being has as an essential goal to attain in their life, things that are hard to do. It's hard to stay faithful in your marriage. It's hard to stay uh, pure before marriage. It's hard to rear children. It's hard to rear children with discipline and honor. I mean, all these different things, parenting, taking care of people, life is one challenge after the next. And yet we're called to rise to meet that challenge and to, to attain it. And therefore we need to have this courage. The problem comes in that sometimes the courage actually can be disproportionate and we can go after things that actually don't belong to us and we can try to to take great things that without taking into account our own weakness it's a, and this is where aquinas situates the virtue of humility he says humility is the tempering of the person who is striving after difficult things to attain to temper them so as to, so that we attain the right thing and that we attain it in the right way and that sometimes we don't attain it at all we judge ourselves to be incapable and correctly so of things that don't really belong to us and we, so we can see man if you just think about humility think what your life would look like if you didn't have it right and then i'm sure what's happening is that you're all thinking of people that you know who seem to lack it, right? <laughs> there's, there's few virtues more attractive to other people than humility. When you're a humble person, it's amazing how people will, will flock around you. They feel like they can approach you 
because you also know your limitations and being aware of your limitations, you're almost more accessible to people, right? Someone who, who's not aware of their limitations and who's just constantly pushing themselves to the next level of achieve, achievement will oftentimes have a hard time making friends. And a lot of times they're lousy leaders also, just because no one wants to be led by somebody who is not like them in their weakness or who can't acknowledge their weakness, right? And a humble person will attract other people to them because a humble person is aware of their limitations and approaches things in due proportion. But that requires a certain tempering of the inner fire that's driving us upwards, right? And I think to myself in my life as a priest, I, I look back at, at, at all the different circumstances of people that I've counseled and situations I've been in. And I can say this to everyone, God will temper that inner fire. He will allow you to discover your limitations. It's not, it doesn't seem to bother God to tell us that we can, we ought to be humble. Instead, life has a way of pushing us down, putting us on our knees, knocking us on our back. And all of that is part of God's own instruments. The secret is to find that balance and to not lose for as much the thirst and the quest for the higher things. Because if we didn't have that drive forward, we wouldn't attain the difficult things in life. But if we don't temper it correctly, well, then we, will, we could risk losing an even more important sense, which is the sense of the fear of God. And I want to talk with you about how that's all applied in your practical life, especially in your life as a business leader. And that's where Aquinas comes in. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. I think one of the hard parts about talking about the virtue of humility is that it, the word is just not really understood. Uh, in, in our culture today, we usually think of humility as a byproduct of a Christianity that's, that's actually misread or that's gone askew, right? A Christianity that says that we shouldn't have pride in ourselves, that we shouldn't glory in our own goodness. And that's why I like reading it from Aquinas, because when you take a look at him, he, he asked the question, for example, whether or not it's okay to, to, uh, to stand as if we were the leaders among other people, or whether humility instead required us to constantly be subject to everyone around us. And he says, no, humility is about being subject to God. Meaning recognizing that in front of God, that I, I have weakness, I am not God. And that I have to accept my state in life and his mission as the condition of my own happiness. If I strive after things in a disproportionate manner, I will, I will puff up myself into thinking that in the end, I'm the one that determines my own life. When in fact, it's God who sets the course in front of me, a course that I have to run. But when I have that true perspective of God, that means that I also have to take stock and relish in the good things that God gave me. St. Francis de Sales puts it this way. He says, humility means accepting the truth. And if the truth is that God gave me a gift, the gift of speech, the gift of listening, the gift of empathy, the gift of whatever it might be, 
Well, me looking at that and saying, I've got a gift from God that I should deploy for the world, that's actually quite proper. Now, now God might decree that that's not my way. And for various reasons in my life, I recognize that that's not my spot. But I don't have to constantly subject myself to everyone else just out of humility, saying somehow or other, everyone is better than me, and I shouldn't take pride in what I do. On the contrary, if you can't take pride in what you do, you probably aren't doing your best. Right? But if you do your best, then everything that you do, you can see the handiwork of God in you. And Aquinas will actually say it glorifies God to, to, to put his talents in their correct position. And if he's blessed you more than others, well, to put those talents out in front of others. He just says, be careful to when you recognize that someone else has a greater talent that God has given them to then subject yourself to that person, you know, put yourself underneath that person because obviously it's all about God. And that's what's so beautiful about Aquinas's vision of humility. It's really the virtue that allows a, a creature to glorify God by accepting that God is the only God and that all of us are his humble servants, right? You can even add the word humble there because it just fits. And that therefore, everything that I do in this world has a bigger perspective and a deeper meaning. I, this is so important because we as a church have to confront the rise of atheism and the arguments that atheism presents against us and against our people and our faith, which oftentimes say the world doesn't need God. We act as if somehow or other religion is an optional thing. And I love the, the approach that Pope Benedict took to evangelization when he was the Pope, because he used to say, actually, remember this, as we deal with God, so we will also deal with the way that we vision ourselves. So if the human project or human society discards religion, it's actually limited itself to the finite, to the material, and to things that it creates of its own accord. How marvelous, though, to live in a world where there's a spiritual, an infinite, a wild God who is mysterious beyond all things and who controls all things in his ineffable will. I mean, that's, that's a charming and an amazingly attractive proposal because then we say the human being is actually created in order to, to come into a union with that God and to dedicate the greatness of their soul towards an, the infinite. That, that, that proposal is kept intact when you have humility. It's the ultimate act of pride for our society to turn around and say that we don't need God because we've actually become him. <laughs> Just think about that. Anyone who says that they don't need God is actually declaring that they have instead taken his place. You know, I just am loathe to think that, that, that that's a good option, okay? And the, because if you've taken the place of God, we're really all in trouble. <laughs> and not only that, there's going to be civil war because your spouse also thinks that she's taken the place of God. <laughs> and now what are we going to do when there's two gods who are, who are warring, right? This is, we're back to the, the land of the ancient Greeks. No, there's another option. And the other option is to say there's only one God and all of us are his servants. And that's kept in, in place by me saying, I am not the sum of all existence. And I have to keep always aware, therefore, of my own littleness. The fact that I was born and that I will die. And that my life and all of its dreams and its passions and fury is only one life. 
And therefore I receive, because of my humility, everyone else around me as being a marvelous reflection of something greater than me. In a sense, humility opens us to really receiving our brothers and sisters, other human beings, as marvelous things, as, as creatures worthy of inalienable rights that we can never try to, to violate. Uh, instead that we need to celebrate because every other human being in a sense is greater than me and reminds me that, and, that I am nothing in the end except the servant of the Most High God who's there because of his wonderful will that I should exist. And I should exist in, therefore, in order to honor and serve him in due proportion. And therefore, I look at the circumstances of my life and I look at my own weakness and my own proclivity to sin or to fail. And it's not that I limit myself by those things. No, because I'm always striving for the greater things. But I accept the way that I'm supposed to strive for them. I, in other words, it's, it's like when you, when you have the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, Aquinas will point out that the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden wasn't lust and it wasn't gluttony. It was actually the sin of pride. And he goes on to define that very precisely. It's not that the devil says, if you eat this, the, tree, the fruit of this tree, then you shall be like a god. And Aquinas is like, that's not bad. To want to be like a god is actually a very good thing. We're all going to be, in the end, a resemblance of God insofar as our mind and our hearts are, are, are in communion with him in heaven. But he says the problem was that the way that God wanted them to become like a God was by obedient faith, not understanding why they shouldn't eat the tree, but obeying his commandment. And the devil presented to them that actually they could become like a God on their own terms. In other words, they could reach up and claim that, that, that wonderful grace instead of receiving it from God according to God's terms. And it's the same in our own lives. But what the beautiful thing of humility is that it allows me to look at my life as a pathway that God has laid for me in order for me to follow, in order to achieve the ultimate and wonderful end for which he's made me. And that requires a certain knowledge, a temperance of what's appropriate to me. And the saints have, of course, developed this over the ages. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. When St. Thomas Aquinas treats of the virtue of humility, he, he, get, he quotes St. Benedict. And I just want to reference this for you because it's interesting. And he gives 12 different ways that we you know, can inculcate this spirit of humility. For example, number one, not following your own will, right? So of course we have to follow our own will, but it's in a way that's not too headstrong. Being able to say, yes, I have a will, but I'm trying to let God lead me at the same time. He says that we need to acknowledge our own shortcomings, okay? That we need to deem ourselves incapable of great things, right? Not in an absolute sense, but in the sense of really recognizing the need that we have for God in order to achieve the great things of our life. So he has a whole list of these things coming from St. Benedict. 
And I think that that's all very important. But I want to now just emphasize for you the importance for humility for our leadership. Because if we're going to be put over others in an organization, the, the, we will be as successful at that as we are humble. The key to successful leadership is humility. And it, it is for two major reasons. The first reason is that by being subject to God, we actually open our organizations to true greatness. <laughs> now remember, if you're not subject to God, you're going to make your organization subject to something else, like the love of money or the, the love of vanity or power and control, which are ultimately all less than what a human being is really capable of. This is, this is not our highest glory. The greatest thing we can accomplish in our life is not to make a lot of money, okay? That, that's where we have to get set ourselves straight. Uh, on the contrary, the glory of a human being is to know and to be one with the infinite and good God. I mean, what an amazing vision that is. Well, in order for me to do that, I need to have humility that says everything that we do here, we do for a higher purpose. And yeah, I understand in our workplaces, we respect everyone's secularism. We respect everyone's opinion and, and we're neutrality about religion, whatever that might be. But we don't have to be neutral about religion. They might have to be, or our environment might need to be whatever, but the values of Christianity need to be in that workplace. The moment we make our religion private, we've made atheism public, okay? So I don't, I'm, I'm not saying to oppose it on, upon anybody, but I am saying to take those values that come from the gift of faith and to not hesitate to inculcate those in the very fabric of your culture. Of, of what your organization is all about. Because one of the biggest tenets of the Christian vision is that every organization should strive to be the best, not just at doing things, but also doing things from an ethical and truly humane quality, from a heart, a soul, to have a soul in your business. And my gosh, if we let business escape from a soul, we've created a monster that will end up devouring us. A business is not meant to be unchained. It's meant to be at the service of the human being who engages in it. And that, that link between what you do and the human soul, that's guaranteed by a leader who is truly humble. Right? And the second thing, and reason this is so important for a business leader, an organizational leader of any kind, is because it allows you to really forge genuine bonds with the people that you are leading. And those are, of course, priceless. We all know that it's not a matter of paying people to do a job that's going to get the job done right. Even if we have the best of, of policies and procedures and the highest wages, if you don't have good workers who think things through and put pride in their work and solve problems effectively and, and collaborate with others and who are motivated to do their very best, you know as well as I, it will not prevail. You know, uh, having slaves in your workplace is not an efficient solution to the problems that come. You need free people, people who are open and alive and engaged and giving the very best of themselves. And study after study after study has shown that people will give the best of themselves towards a manager or a leader whom they respect. 
right? And nothing is more winsome or worthy of respect than a humility that sees everyone who works for you, everyone on your team, as somehow worthy of the best of your service, right? A, a, a truly humble leader, in other words, puts themselves underneath the people whom they lead so that they can build them up and guard them against attack and allow them to give the very best of themselves. But to do that, the leader's got to get out of their way. You know, it's like an a, a, a interesting quote. You know, so, someone once said, you know, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about all day long. <laughs> it's like, it, 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 and we have that same sentiment in our own heads. We, get, we think that somehow or other, because we're a leader, we're more important. And as soon as we do that, we, dis, we, we erode the respect that's going to actually bring us to victory. On the contrary, by deploying a truly humble spirit, our people engage towards us. Just think about our Lord. I have in mind the meditation on the two standards by St. Ignatius of Loyola, and it's in his spiritual exercises, where he, he lays out for us this vision of Jesus, who is trying to send all of his armies in order to win our soul. And he puts Jesus at, at the, the, the plains around Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem and the armies of his soldiers arrayed in white that are preparing their horses and sharpening their swords. And Jesus is walking amidst the troops, encouraging them, laughing with them, and, and giving them directions from his heart on how they should wage a battle in order to win your soul for God. And that image of Jesus, humble and meek, is so beautiful, like the good shepherd who goes out looking for us, that it wins a loyalty that no force could ever cajole. This is something I, I want us all to lay hands on. If we had that same vision, how what a gift our leadership would be. And instead of us being bashful about leading, we would throw ourselves into it with reckless abandon, knowing that this is actually a sign of love. That the people that I lead, I serve with the love of Christ. And I'm able by my leadership to give them what they need in order to flourish. Our world doesn't need Christians who, who hold themselves back by a false humility from the tasks and the joys and the challenges of leadership. Our world needs a, a Christians who throw themselves at this as an act of great love. It is hard to be humble. But those who are humble find a pathway forward of light and life upon which many will try. And this is the goal and this is the blessing of leadership in Christ. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.